Come on. That's why we're here. You hear me? That's why we're here. We're not here to waste our lives. We're not here to go through just the motions. We're not here to just go to church meetings. We're here to give our lives for this cause. And God has called us as a generation that will usher in a great move of his spirit in our nation. But that's not just going to happen. We're called to give ourselves to this. Um, For those of you that don't know me, my name is James. And uh, uh, along with a few other guys you've probably seen on stage, uh, God led us to start this uh, movement called Prayer Storm. And our vision is not just to have a prayer meeting. Okay? Just wait for... Is everything okay, guys? I need, I need your attention, okay? I'm going to say a few things over the next few minutes, um, and then we're going to get back into some worship and finish off this session. Uh, but I want you to understand the context of what we're doing here. We're not here to have a nice church service. You probably know that. You know, this is a prayer meeting, okay? But there's no point trying to pray for a nation. There's no point trying to bind things that are binding you, okay? God has called us as his people to live in freedom. And from that place of freedom, we are equipped to break chains off of a nation. So this session is about getting our hearts connected with God and with the purpose of why we're here. There's no point starting right now to pray for things out there. I believe God wants to align our hearts, and we've been singing it. You know, you're beautiful. You know, I see your face. You know, it's very easy to say those words, but how real is that to you? What qualifies us for a deeper level of intimacy with God is the fact that we've made a covenant with him. It's just like life, okay? Before you qualify for a different level of intimacy, a a deeper level of intimacy with anyone, you have to make a covenant with them, and that's marriage. And on the wedding day, what do you say? Forsaking all others. You forsake all others, and because you forsake all others, you're connected to your bride or to your groom, and that qualifies you for a deeper level of intimacy. We're singing these songs here today, Lord, I want to see your face. But many of us are still connected to other lovers. We cannot go deep in God until there becomes a disconnection from all the things that are stopping us from going deep in God. And you know, I've been brought up in the church, and uh, it, wasn't until I, it wasn't until I started uh, making a decision myself that I want to know God for myself. You know, you don't, you're not going to know God at a prayer storm meeting because of a worship song. You can encounter God here, and I believe you will encounter God here. But if you want to have a real deep relationship with God, it's not going to fit into a one-hour or two-hour meeting. Okay, it's deeper than this. Okay, and I grew up in a, you know, in a Christian family, taking to church, but it, was, it wasn't until I decided I wanted to know God for myself and wanted to go after God and cut off all the other things that were hindering me from doing that, that I start to know God for myself. Okay, you can hear what the preacher has to say about God. You can hear what another man experiences about God. But until you have your testimony about God, you have really nothing to impact a nation with. It starts with that personal revelation. And this session, I believe God wants to begin to break off some of those things that are hindering us. I believe the church today, we're mesmerized with the world. 
We're mesmerized with the things in the world and the things off the world. We're being infected by a culture we're called to affect. The church is beginning to look more like the world than like Christ. We're getting our ideologies, even for worship and some of the things, we're getting everything from the world. And we don't realize that God has called us to be a people that are different to the world. The people of God who try to be of the world while in the world will lose their authority to change the world. And God is calling us to be different from the world. That's not to say that you're going to be holier than thou and not talk to anyone that doesn't know God. That means that your lifestyle speaks something about the God you know. If I'm going to live with you for the next few days or weeks, can I convict you of being a Christian in the court because of the way you live without you saying a word? Is your lifestyle enough to speak about what you believe in? Or is it just a service? Is it just a meeting? Is it just an event? We're calling you to something deeper here. Okay? All this can just seem like a nice deal, the lights, the sound, and everything, okay? We're calling you to encounter God for who he's called you to be. And the thing is, when you encounter God for who he is, you begin, you begin to understand who he's called you to be. Today, briefly, I want to talk about what I call the Nazarites. Anyone heard of the Nazarites? <laughs> um, you know... The Nazarites were raised up at a time in the nation when the darkness was intense. And as the darkness increased upon the nation, the Nazarites were raised up to be a countercultural resistance to the moral decline of the day. As the darkness is increasing, for us to see change that lasts, God is calling us to be that countercultural resistance. If we're really going to pray prayers that will change this nation, we're going to stand from a place where we have met God and we're different in our lifestyles to the world. And the Nazarites were people that set themselves apart to God in a radical way. It wasn't in a casual way of, oh, I'm just going to go to church. And I always say this, if you can spend six hours watching a movie or movies and you can't spend 60 minutes in the presence of God, it tells me there's something wrong. Okay, and the Nazarites were people, you know, like today, if you go to church, you tell people, you know, uh, if you say to any of your friends, well, you know, I ended up spending all night praying. That is a bit of, it's unusual for you to probably hear people tell that to you. Okay, why is what is abnormal become normal in context of, if you tell someone you spent all night watching movies, it's probably, oh yeah, well, great, you know, but if you tell someone you spent all night praying, somehow they see you as a weird person. Why is it that what is meant to be natural has become unnatural? What is meant to be normal has become abnormal? It's because God is wanting to mark the church with people who be heart-sick lovers of God. And when you start to do that, people start to think you're crazy. But actually, you're being normal because that's normal Christianity. And today, God is wanting to raise up Christians who will not conform to even the culture of the church, but will be different to the system. And say, God, I'm going to go after you, even if I'm going to spend all night in prayer, even if I'm going to have to cancel having to go to a social event because I want to read my Bible. Most of you will spend an hour reading Facebook statuses, but can't spend an hour reading the Bible. There's something wrong if somehow you're bored with the Word and you're bored in worship. You know what's wrong? Your heart has not really encountered the God you think you know about. 
God is not boring. Okay? I'm telling you, God is not boring. You're boring. I'm serious. When you encounter God for who he is, you realize actually life has nothing to offer you. I'm talking about the, I'm not talking about just goosebumps. I'm not talking about a nice song that makes you feel good. I mean, when you see God and your eyes are open to see him, nothing in this world would ever compare to his face. And all you're going to want to do is give yourself to him. God is not boring. If you find him boring, you've got to realize your heart has got bored because you've given yourself to the things of the world. And when you begin to cut yourself away from the things of the world, you position yourself to experience a presence that you will not experience any other way. And that's the presence that will change the world. That presence comes from disconnecting from the world. And that process is called consecration. It's called being set apart. Have you seen the athletes? When they want to run a race, okay? They don't eat the food everyone else eats, right? They go on a very strict regime, right? Right? They don't eat all the Burger King and all the McDonald's. And all. They, they go on a very strict, and they go to the gym, and they have a certain number of hours, and it's very strict and focused. They set themselves apart because they have a vision. They can't do what everyone else is doing, okay, because they want to win a race. They want to run a race. In a sense, the, all these athletes, they are holy. They're set apart for their cause. And when you become a Christian, it's not just saying yes to God. He's saying, God, I want to be fully set apart to you. And that process means God marks you. That process means you set yourself apart to God. You just don't disconnect. See, this is where some of us miss it. You think because you're not doing certain things, you're holy. Or because you're not doing some things, you're better than other people. It's not about the things you're doing or not doing. It's about what you're saying yes to. It's not about if your yes is strong enough, no, no. I mean, your yes has to be strong enough to the point where you're not, you don't have to say no to sin because your yes is so strong for God. Am I making sense? And God is calling us to disconnect from the things of the world so that we can connect to the deeper things of God. Okay? A few points I want to make. I don't know how much I'm going to get into this. But I made a very significant statement, I feel, that many of you probably would say yes to, but don't really understand the reality of. I said, God is not boring. You know why? He created the universe, and he created you. And there are billions of us on the planet right now, and he knows what every single one of us is thinking in this moment. There's so much going on around the throne room of God, beyond anything we can ever comprehend. Okay? The Bible says God is spirit. Right? We don't see God with our physical eyes, but we know he's, he's real. He's spirit. God is spirit. And out of, out of that realm of spirit, he spoke this world into existence. You know what that tells me? That tells me the spirit world created this natural world that we see. What does that say? The spirit world is superior to this world. And David said, at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. God created every pleasure that's, uh, that's good. I mean, it's been perverted by the enemy in many ways. God created sex. You know, there's nothing wrong with entertainment that's godly. God created things because the human heart is, uh, is made to be fascinated. 
And many of you are fascinated by the wrong thing. Some of you are fascinated by pornography. Some of you are fascinated by idols on TV that you pretty much worship and you have to find out what they're doing all the time. Some of you are fascinated by your image. Some of you are fascinated by other things. But we're, we're created to be fascinated by something. And that thing is superior to what the thing, that thing is superior to the natural things that are around us that many of us tend to gravitate towards very easily. My point is, from the spirit realm, God created this realm. And if he created the spirit realm, sorry, if he spoke this realm from the spirit realm, that tells me the spirit realm is superior to this realm. I'm going somewhere with this. That tells me if the Bible says there are pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God, there are pleasures in God that far outweigh any pleasure we can experience in the physical body. Because his realm is superior to this realm. But you're not going to experience those pleasures by just saying it. You've got to set yourself for it. And I believe today God wants us to set ourselves for this. Because it's these these people that transform the world. Nazarites who choose to be radical for God. I'm not going to read through the whole passage, but in number six, you know, there's the law of the Nazarite that God gives uh, uh, the nation of Israel. Okay, and the law was about people who are not part of uh, uh, the, the, the tribe of Levi, you know, who were called to serve as priests. You know, the 12 tribes. And the tribe of Levi were marked by God to serve. You know, that's all they did in the temple. They served God. Now, God opened, and all the other tribes could not serve God in the same way the tribe of Levi served God because they were born into it, and, they, and that's what they did. They were marked and called and did that. But in number six, God opens this up for the whole nation to be able to give themselves to God in just, a, just as radical a way as some of the Levites were, and even more. So God opens this up in number six, and it says, if anyone desires to be a Nazarite, see if I can read it quickly, just a few things. It says, um, the Lord said to Moses, speak to uh, the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman wants to make a, a special vow, a vow to dedicate uh, themselves as a Nazarite, they must abstain from fermented drink, must not drink vinegar, must, uh, must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drinks. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. Okay, so you might be thinking to say, what is, what's that all about? Jesus is saying, if anyone wants to be set apart to me, one, they must be disconnected from wine. Okay? And what does wine speak of? Drinking wine in moderation was not bad because the children of Israel actually did drink wine, okay? But these Nazarites were basically saying, we're going to deny ourselves of legitimate pleasures of this life in order to experience the extreme pleasures of knowing God. So they were going to disconnect themselves from drinking wine. It wasn't that God was saying to, for them to drink wine was sin, but if they took the vow, they were basically saying by taking the vow, I am disconnecting myself from the natural pleasures because I believe there are greater pleasures to experience in God. And our society is trying to deceive us as Christians to think the pleasures of this world are greater than the pleasures of knowing God. But God is calling us to be Nazarites today and he's calling us to be those people who disconnect from those things of the world and say, God, we're going to want to go after you because we want to see your face. We want to know the extreme pleasures of knowing you. Holy Spirit, we want to fill in our hearts. It's not just a song. I mean, when you close your eyes and you say it, that it goes deep and it's real in your heart. So one, they were going to abstain from wine. 
And I want to read you this. It says, um, this is a quote from a book, The Prophetic Church. It says, the kingdom of darkness strives through pressure on the mind and the spirit to neutralize, lead astray, and smooth down strong personalities so that they become apathetic about what is happening around them. The Nazarite is not to be drunk on wine, okay? Drunkenness is not only from alcohol, but also from the ex- ex- excessive things that we give ourselves to. I'm paraphrasing here. Excessive TV watching, consuming interests, other things, even sports, entertainment. All these things are used by the kingdom of darkness to neutralize the mind and, and almost take out the desire for God. They're not bad, but many times they become tools that the enemy uses to cause our hearts to be numb towards God. And I'm talking to you about something I've been through myself. I remember making a decision to be a Nazarite, God calling me and, you know, challenging me. And there were things I felt God asking me to lay down that I didn't think were bad. But I knew God was saying, James, if you want to go deeper in me, some of these things, I want you to just lay them down because I'm calling you to something deeper. See, Others may, but you may not, because you're called to a higher purpose. Others may do things and get away with it. But when you give yourself to a purpose, you're marked. And it's like, others may do it, but you just cannot, because your eyes are fixed on what you're called to do. So one, wine. They were not supposed to be drunk on wine. Thank you. It's hard job preaching, you know. They were not to be drunken wine. And then um, the next thing, I'm not going to read you. It says, no razor shall come upon their head. Okay? The message of the uncut hair was about, was not about, was, was this. It was, what, it wasn't, what, I, what can I get away with? What's the least I can do to be a Christian? Rather, the message of the uncut hair was about, how far can I go in my consecration to God? Some of you are trying to figure out how much you can get away with to get into heaven while on earth. How much sin you can get away with. How much compromise you can get away with to get into heaven. But I'm looking for the people that are going to figure out and think to themselves, how much can I give to God while I'm on earth to see heaven descend upon this earth? The message of... So the Nazarite was not allowed to drink wine. He wasn't allowed to cut his hair. His hair was meant to grow. And that's symbolic of saying, how far would you let me go, God? How abandoned would you let me be to this cause? I'm not just going to coast along and just do the bare minimum. I'm going to give myself fully for what you want to give to me. People who experience the great, the great things of the kingdom of God are people who give themselves fully to God. See, treasure, it's not treasure if it's easily accessible. And there are things that God has hidden that is only for the seekers. And when you give yourself to God and say, God, I'm not going to figure out how much I can get away with. I'm going to figure out how much I can give myself to you. I'm going to figure out how much prayer can I fit into my schedule. I'm going to figure out how much Bible reading can I fit into my schedule. I'm going to figure out how much of my time can I give to God. You're positioning yourself to find hidden treasures that other people will not find. Because you're saying, God, I want to go deeper in you. And some of you might have heard the story of Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts at 13, elders and in his church said to him, never miss a prayer meeting because that could be the meeting where God decides to pour his spirit. So at the age of 13, Evan begins to give himself to prayer, you know, regularly. He's, he's going to meeting, he's seeking God. 
13 years later, God releases one of the greatest revivals in this nation and the nations of the world through this man in Wales. I mean, this is not, you know, the word, the word revival is sometimes overused in the church. And I want to clarify what I mean when I say revival. I don't mean having a nice time in church. That's not bad. Sometimes, you know, God allows us to enjoy his presence and all that kind of stuff happens. I'm talking about God is more concerned about what happens outside of this place than just what's happening in here. God is more concerned about what happens when you leave this meeting than what's happening in this meeting. A true test of revival is what happens at home when the band is not there, when there's no one upstate trying to cheer you on. That's a true test of how deep your heart is. And Evan, at the age of 26, God released this revival through him. And my definition of revival is the fact that people in the world that do not even have a concept of who God is are feeling the presence of God on the streets and they're crying out to God. That's the difference between revival and successful evangelism. Successful, it's good to evangelize. And I, I evangelize. I believe God has called us to preach the gospel. But when God breaks in, it's no longer just what we can do. And he breaks in with his presence, and even non-Christians begin to feel him on the streets. They don't, listen, they don't just get healed, but they sense the heart of God, and they give themselves to God. In those days, during the worship of Bible, people did not show up to the football games because they were in the church praying. That is what I call revival. And when I say revival, I'm asking and praying that God will release that kind of movement and greater in this earth right now. But he's going to do it through people who will give themselves fully to God, who will not compromise, who will not say, how much can I get away with? Who will say, God, I'm going to give you everything. For 13 years, Evan Roberts prayed. He gave himself to prayer and fasting and seeking God. And at the age of 26, God said, now is the time. I'm going to use you to release a great revival. We see the revival at 26, but we don't see the 13 years of being hidden in secret. And some of you right here, God is going to mark you today. And as he marks you, you're going to make up your mind, God, I'm going to give myself to you in my school. Whether my friends laugh at me or whatever, God, I don't care. I'm going to give myself to you. And because you make that mark, who knows, 10 years down the line, you will be the voice of a revival. Because when you give yourself to God, God begins to use your decisions. And, the, you know, we say, God, I want more of you. God wants us to say, actually, God is saying, I want more of you. We're saying, God, I want more of you. He's saying, I want more of you. And when we say this yes to God, what we do is we create space for God to come into. So 10 years down the line, because you're saying yes to God now, you're creating a space for God to come in. And the infrastructures have been built in your life to handle the weight of the glory that he wants to release 10 years or 15 years down the line. But if you don't say yes right now, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because you just go to church and listen to a nice sermon and go to that was great worship. It's not going to happen that way. It's radical people that change. Comfortable people do not change the world. People who are radical for God will change the world. And I'm calling into that lifestyle. And Evan Roberts was a picture of that. He wasn't thinking, how far can I go into sin and still be called a Christian? He wasn't thinking, oh, you know, everyone is doing. See, this is the problem. We compare ourselves with ourselves. As opposed to with the Bible. Well, everyone is doing it. Everyone is singing it. Everyone is wearing it. Who cares? What does God say about it? Many of you are listening to music that's demonic. From the pits of hell. Yeah, you're okay with it because everyone is listening to it. Everyone, no, 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 no. When you set yourself apart to God, you realize God does not like that because that's totally against his kingdom. 
Why would you be imbibing that kind of stuff? This is real stuff. I'm telling you, get your iPod or your iPad or whatever and delete those things if you're serious. Because they contaminate. I was talking to a lady, uh, one of my friends here, Josh, his, his sister got there. I don't want to embarrass her. And she was saying to me in the office, she was like, you know, James, I used to listen to all this uh, music on the radio as I came to work. She just got saved, okay? She said, I used to listen to all this music on the radio as I came to work. But I just felt God start stirring me to listen to worship music. And as I started doing that, the whole atmosphere has changed. My, des- my, my feelings have changed. My desires have changed. Like, things are changing. And she doesn't know, but I'm thinking to myself, it's because you've surrounded yourself with the right atmosphere. Why would you surround yourself with a demonic atmosphere and expect to have hunger for God? Why? Why? Why would you surround yourself with things that you know God is not happy with and expect that you come into a worship service and say, God, I love you, and be able to connect with the depths of who he is? Why? You will not see God if you don't learn to disconnect from those things that he does not like. But it's by his grace. He enables you to do his grace. is not God, you know, uh, lowering the standard because of the culture. Grace is God empowering you to meet the standard through the cross. And today, God wants to disconnect. He's going to disconnect things from your life if you say yes. All he's looking for is a yes. Some of you are 90% in, but the other 10% you're like, God, that's just me. You're dating this person, you're dating that person, you're just doing whatever you want to do. You just, you, know, you just live your life however you want to live it and expect God to pour out his spirit upon you. It's not going to happen. I'm telling you the truth, people. The reason why you probably not hear some of these things is because I'm telling you because I know God wants to pour out his spirit in our flesh. But it's not going to pour it on people who are not fully given to him like he wants. And if you're not going to be able to say yes today, you're not going to have all of what God has for you. If God is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. It's not 90%. When I got married to my wife, my beautiful wife, Rebecca, amazing proposal story, by the way. Isn't it, Becky? <laughs> I'm not good at sharing the story, but she is. So, you know, she shares this proposal and she was crying when I proposed and everything, you know. So... <laughs> Imagine if when I proposed to her, I said, okay, um, I want to give you 365 days in the year, isn't it? (laughs) I just thought, am I getting that right or wrong? (laughs) I want to give you 364 days. You have me, Becky. 364 days you can have me. 100% I'm yours. But just one day, I'm going to be unfaithful in the year. Just one day. And I'm proposed. Would you marry me? What do you think her response would be? She probably slapped me in the face. <laughs> but the reality is many of us treat God like that. We give him as far as we feel comfortable. And we expect to have all of him. When we've not given him, given him all of us. We want to see his face, but we're not letting him see the depths of our hearts because we're covering it up, saying, God, you're not going to touch that. God, you're not going to go there. That's me. That's not you. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's not going to happen, people. The people who are going to release the glory of God on the earth are going to be those people who are wholehearted lovers of God. Heaven sends people are not on the earth to extract pleasures and materialism off the earth. Heaven sends people on the earth to display a glory that cannot be found in the things of the earth. And as you give yourself to God fully, that glory becomes more real in your life. There's no point crying out for revival out there if there's no revival in here. 
We can shout all we want. When you go home and it's just you in your room with your computer and you're tempted to look upon and there's all that stuff going around you and there's no reality of what's happened here, your yes for God is not strong enough such that you can just ignore it. That is where these things we're talking about is tested. When you get to school and your friends are making fun of you, are you still going to be able to say, yes, I believe in this God and I'm going to stand for him and not care what anyone else thinks about me? That is where this is tested. One last point I'm going to make and I'm going to finish. Oh gosh, time is gone. They did not go near any dead thing. Going near a dead thing represents going near anything that's sinful, flirting with sin. They were even flirting with sin, knowing that it's dangerous yet playing with it. Some of you are doing that. You know this thing has the potential to destroy me. This relationship has the potential to destroy me. Yet you're flirting with it. And in, your, in the depths of your heart, you know God is saying no. Some of you are probably sleeping around, okay? And you know God is saying no, but in the depths of your heart, you just want to keep going. You can't be bothered. You're like, well, you know, God loves me. And that's the false grace message. Any teaching on the grace of God that gives you license for carnality is heresy. The grace of God empowers you to overcome sin, not to excuse sin. And the cross of Jesus is not a sin management program. It's a sin eradication program. If he died on the cross to break those chains, then they can be broken in my life. I don't care what those chains are. And God wants to break those things off of you. One last point I'm going to make. You know, we celebrate Samson being able to kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. You read that and go, wow. You hear someone say, wow, kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. How did he do that? Okay? And we celebrate that success. When we know that he was a Nazarite and his vow forbidden him to touch any dead thing. So it's almost like, as the church, we kind of say, well, it's successful. I mean, it's okay if you're successful enough. People celebrate your success, even though the tool you use to bring the success is the trophy of your broken vow. And we're, we're celebrating success on the outside, but no success on the inside. Nothing is going on here. It's all on the outward. And God is calling us to be a people who understand what we're called to and give ourselves to that. Not because of external things, but because our hearts are wholly devoted to God. Internal conditions of the heart. No one, no one can, uh, no one can disguise that. No one can hide that. I love what Leonard Ravenel says. Leonard Ravenel says, the pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not playing are strained. The pulpit can be a shop window to display your talent, but the prayer closet allows no showing off. And that is where you really are. That's where the inner depths of your heart are revealed. Do you understand with me? I don't know if Rick can come up. We're going to finish this. God is calling you to be a Nazarite today. God is calling you to set yourself apart from the world. You know, and I don't stand here preaching this in a form of condemning way. Because I've been there. I've been in compromise. I've, I've been in a place where I've coasted along with the culture and the system. But I tell you this, honestly, nothing compares with the fires of the living God burning inside my heart and me feeling it. Do you hear me? Listen, don't get distracted. I know people are coming on stage. Look at me. Look at me. 
Can you see me? Nothing compares to the reality of the fire of God burning in my heart when I'm lying on my bed and I'm saying Jesus and all I can just think of is God. I just, how much more can I give to you? I just want more, God, and I'm ready to give anything. Nothing compares to the fire. And some of you don't know that fire. Some of you don't know that reality. You're more excited about watching EastEnders than you are about getting to the presence of God. It tells me that something that's not happened deep in your heart to encounter the real God. And today, he wants you to encounter him, to break off those chains and the compromise. As Rick plays, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Because there's an anointing here to break chains. I'll tell you a bit of my testimony. I have been bound by chains. I know what it is to be bound by pornography. Some of you in this place know what that feels like. But I know what it is to get into a place where God so breaks the chains that all the images are deleted off my mind I'm not talking theory I'm talking reality and if you're here today you want to say yes to God you want to say God I want to give you everything I want to be marked there as a Nazarite I don't want to live in compromise right now I want you to begin to come forward and get on your knees and begin to call out to God and say God this is the time come on come on if it's just one or two, as long as there's a yes in your heart, God is saying, I'm going to mark you today. Come forward, don't be afraid. Get on your knees before God and cry out to God. Say, Jesus, mark me today. Mark me today with a heart of revival. I don't want to fit in with the world. I don't want to fit in with the system of the world. I want to know the reality of burning for you, Jesus. I am yours. 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 We're yours, Lord.
They can't. 